Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the Gripshunden Burns Diplomacy? Here we are. Enjoy! King John, or Hans in his native Denmark, was a man with a lot to prove as he boarded the flagship, the Gripshunden. The Kalmar Alliance, which had united Denmark, Norway, and Sweden under one ruler for the past hundred years, was now in shambles, with Sweden breaking away on its own. Though negotiations had been ongoing, now King John was heading to Sweden to try to negotiate with the regent of Sweden, Sten Stur, into allowing him to be crowned the King of Sweden as well as Denmark and Norway. This trip was a chance for King John to show his force and military might, as well as his riches. Now was a chance to impress on the Swedes that they would be foolish to continue to fight against him in this matter. With this in mind, he put together a fleet of 18 ships, his large and modern flagship at its front. The Gripshunden had served King John well over the years. It was very large for the time, was one of the first ships to carry cannons, and built for travel over long distances. It was a familiar means of transportation for King John and his court, and they loaded all sorts of treasures and goods on board of her. There were casks of fine food and wines for days of feasting at the planned summit, as well as a good deal of arms for a show of force and military power. Many of the Danish nobles chose to come with their king, and they had bedecked themselves in their best, the better to put on a show of their own. Even the court astronomer was brought along in hopes that he might offer some insights that would aid his king. Everyone was anticipating a resolution being reached between Sweden and Denmark, putting an end to a tense couple of years of conflict. This was a meeting that they had hoped to have had earlier in the year, but as they were getting ready, Sten Stuer had sent word that he was sick and that he would not be able to make it, delaying everything. That everyone was even willing to come to the table and talk things out was considered a good sign, though. The first leg of their journey was uneventful, and the fleet met with good weather. The location set for their meeting was Kalmar, a significant spot for the unification of Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. The union of the three nations bore the name of the city in Sweden for a reason. Queen Margaret had brought the three nations together under a treaty signed in Kalmar, with herself declared queen of all three. It only made sense that King John would return to Kalmar as a reminder to everyone of his ancestral right to rule over the same nations. Before the fleet reached their destination, however, they stopped in Stora Ekon, an island off the coast of Sweden, while waiting for better weather. Some say that this was because the king needed to meet with Swedish allies and gauge their support. Others say that the royal astronomer had realized what was about to happen, and he warned the king that it would be a good idea to be on shore for a little while. Either way, the king was not on board of his prized ship when disaster struck. But plenty of other people were. There is no agreement on how the fire started. Some people said that it was mysterious and sudden. Others said that it was a lightning strike. 
No matter what caused it, the fire was quickly raging across the deck of the wooden ship. People attempted to fight the fire, but they lacked the convenience of ship pumps to bring water from the sea. That was a practice that would not come for some time. They instead brought water up in buckets and did their best to douse the flames, but it was far too late. The high degree of heat and the choking smoke drove everyone back from the blaze that was quickly engulfing the ship. It did not take long for the blaze to reach the gunpowder that had been stored for use in the ship cannons, and that too ignited, causing an explosion. No one is entirely certain how many people died from the Gribswinden fire and explosion. What is known is that the people who did die were very important to the court of King John and the nations of Denmark and Norway. Many nobles died in the blaze or the explosion, and more yet died in the water, unable to swim. Soldiers and sailors also died, men who had been chosen to impress the Swedes with the impressive military force of Denmark. In addition to the loss of life, King John was also forced to watch as all the treasures he had brought to impress Sten Stuer and all of the delicacies that he had stored in the hold of the ship for days of feasts were also now gone. So too were many of his personal possessions. King John's troubles were not over, however. That night, the storm was so violent that it scattered the king's remaining fleet of 17 ships. None of them knew where they were or where the rest of the fleet was. Many of the ships were forced to lighten their load by throwing their cargo overboard. Undoubtedly, more of the king's good meant to impress Sten Stuer and his men. It was a move of desperation, and its necessity was evident when the ships were finally reunited at the harbor after their ordeal. As each ship limped into harbor, it was clear that they were all so damaged that it would take them time to repair them. Another ship was also now gone. The unnamed ship had not only carried all the royal furnishings, it had also carried all of the documents intended for the meeting. No one is certain of this ship's fate, only that it was never seen again, above or under the ocean. The series of events was not to prove to be helpful in negotiations. While King John had left Denmark confident that this was all coming to an end, he now found his position seriously weakened, and his prestige damaged. No more were the nobles who had paraded on the decks, the fine meats that he had put in his hold, or the show of force he had planned to dazzle his enemies with. Gone too was peace. Though King John did make his way to the planned meeting place, when Sten Stuer was delayed, King John returned to Sweden, not waiting to have the meeting that had been so anticipated, or the Swedish crown. Without the great show, he did not seem as confident in winning over the Swedes to seeing him as king. What would follow was two more years of war and fighting before peace was finally negotiated, though an uncertain one. King John was able to wear the crown of Sweden as he had wished, though it would not last. The Gribshunden was not forgotten, however. She had not sunk in deep water, and there are signs that people immediately got to work salvaging what they could. Her guns, as well as many of her goods, were far too valuable to be left at the bottom of the Baltic. We know that many of the king's furnishings that had gone overboard during the storm were also recovered soon after. Over time, the Gripshunden would fade into a footnote in the history of the Kalmar Alliance. That was until the 1970s, 
when the wreck was found again, this time by recreational divers. Modern archaeology puts perhaps just as much value into the Gribshunden as King John did over 500 years ago. The ship is of a type and build that is more commonly associated with the early age of exploration, but those ships rotted under the waves and decayed with shipworm and storms. The Baltic is the perfect condition to preserve a ship for an extended period of time, and the ship is in far better condition than could have been imagined for a 500-year-old ship. To date, it is the best-preserved 15th-century warship ever found. Slowly, a picture has emerged of how splendid life on the king's ship must have been. Among the things that were found are ornately carved wooden panels, rich brocades, and the figurehead which has offered the first evidence of a medieval ship having a painted figurehead and has now been brought to the surface preserved as the important artifact that it is. The snarling dog brings the name of the ship to life and makes the warlike nature of the ship clear. The contents of the ship are equally warlike. Small arms have been retrieved in large numbers, as have strong oak gun carriages. The gun carriages show that the medieval statements of the Gribshunden having 68 cannons might not have been as much of an exaggeration as previously thought. This has included a gun carriage that must have been for a giant stern chaser. If the estimates of her armament are correct, it would have made her one of the best armed, if not the best armed ship on the sea at that time. A force that surely would have impressed anyone who saw her, and was justified in being considered an important part of the royal prestige of King John. They have also found parts of the feasts that King John had planned to awe everyone with. Barrels of herring still sit at the bottom of the ocean as do casks of spices that have been a valuable commodity in the Middle Ages and are still treasured today. At one point, an archaeologist opened a barrel that was discovered to be saffron, and the sea around it turned red. Though the Gribshunden was not able to be part of a force that would bring peace between three nations, it has brought together the world in awe of the incredible artifacts and pieces of medieval history that it still holds. For more information about the Swedish revolution that sparked the Gribshunden to go on its final voyage, please see Denmark, Russia, and the Swedish Revolution, 1480-1503, by Valdemar Westergaard, in the Slavonic and East European Review, July 1937. For more information about the wreck and the archaeological work that has been done, please see our sources below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.